first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher. And they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass, as they were, much, very, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Now, if you ever read a comic book, that's when the light bulb goes off next to their head. <laughs> that's a light bulb moment when they finally put it together because of the Holy Spirit delivering that message to them. Jesus talked to us about this. He said this was going to happen. He said that he was going to be taken up by sinful men and the leadership there in Israel, and, they, and he was going to be crucified, and he was going to rise again on the third day. Now, this reminds me of something else, to a culture spot right there. But in the first chapter of Luke, there's a time there where an angel meets Mary and is describing to her that she's going to have a baby, and she doesn't understand how that's even possible, because it wasn't, unless she knew a man. But this angel says to her, then Mary, said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. In verse 37 it says, and this is what the angel was saying to Mary, For with God... Nothing shall be impossible. So Jesus' life upon the earth, from the beginning, before conception even, all the way through his life, was the impossible becoming possible because God was in it. And he rose again the third day. An impossibility in human terms, but not for Jesus Christ, who was God himself. And they remembered his words and returned from the sepulcher and told all these things unto the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James and other women that were with them, and which told these things unto the disciples, unto the apostles. And their words seemed to them as idle tales, and they believed them not. Then arose Peter and ran into the sepulcher, and stooping down, he beheld the linen clothes laid by themselves, and departed wondering in himself at that which was come to pass. The impossible had happened. And it took some time for them to start to even process this, but the Holy Spirit was lighting up their hearts. You heard Jesus talk about this over the last several years. Today is the day that it happened before you. And the resurrection, the, the message of the resurrection became the core of the gospel message that spread 
throughout, as the early church <clears throat> began to spread throughout all of that Mediterranean vicinity, that, that Asian area that we talk about because of the resurrection story, the res res resurrection account, and that there were up to 500 people at once that had seen the risen Christ. Those people were eyewitnesses of a man who had died upon a cross, who had been buried for three days, and they were eyewitnesses of him speaking and being among them for 40 days. The impossible became possible because of God. <clears throat> I want to go to prayer as we begin this message. And uh, Brother Cody, would you be willing to lead us in prayer here this morning? Are there particular uh, requests that you would like to include here? Let's remember Kurt's mother, who's in the hospital at the present time. Yes. Uh, Abigail Montgomery shared with me that a friend of hers is having a baby, just had a baby, and, and their brain has stopped growing in the child, and she's not a believer, but she has recently began going to church. So mm. one of us keep him in mm. our prayers this morning. Let's remember Abigail Montgomery's friend, who is having a baby, who is having some very difficult uh, changes in that baby's body. Let's keep them all up in prayer. Other concerns here this morning? Yes. I don't have any prayer requests, but I have a painful request. I don't mm -hmm. know if I ever speak in right or wrong. <laughs> Please speak. Remember, see the people in Sebus's home village as things are coming back to yes. more just a liveliness and just uh, free of the dangers that they've been suffering through and so forth. So you praise God for all that's happening there. Anyone else that something you want to include at this time? Cody, would you lead us in prayer here today? Every individual has ever lived. You would, you would come 
Thank you for uh, this morning's opportunity to pray with your neighbors as a group. <clears throat> Over the past year, this isn't always been the case. We've been praising your name for this. We've been praising your name for uh, being able to just get together with brothers and sisters and, and glorify you. Thank you, Jesus, for free time, for just seeing things come alive and seeing your creation come alive and just another testimony that you do uh, continue to create and continue to do impossible things. morning, we do want to pray for a church mother in the hospital. Just pray that you with her and help her with uh, every specific need that is there. Uh, just pray that uh, you be with each one of them. <clears throat> we do pray for this baby that we heard about. It um, sounds like his brain is not growing to what it should. Pray for the baby and for the mother. Uh, Jesus, you know that once again you can do impossible things. And so we just pray your, your blessing and your presence. to get better for the people that live there and continue to get back to normal. And we do pray for you that the gangs are putting their weapons down somewhat. And we just pray that that just continues, Jesus. And we pray that for this whole world, the violence and the bloodshed and the ugly stuff that we see daily around here and around this entire world. We just pray that it can, that people can see you Would you be poured out like wine? I think we all know that. Hallelujah. He is risen. He's alive. And so we too can live. And we can have hope of life not only in this life. But of rising again with him one day. The books are many that have been written 
to prove the resurrection of Christ. You know, the, the question comes up many times. How can you prove the resurrection? If it's really so central to the Christian faith, how do we prove it? And while it doesn't satisfy the skeptic, my answer to you this morning is the Bible says it. The Bible says it. It proves the resurrection and it's the Word of God. It says that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and I believe it. Along with that, as a child of God, perhaps you've had a Damascus Road experience in your life. Perhaps you've had your road to Emmaus. You've had your personal experience with Christ that proves to you that He's alive today. The issue, frankly, as John MacArthur states, is not what proves the resurrection, but what the resurrection proves. What, the, what does the resurrection prove? John says the answer is it proves the full redemptive plan and purpose of God. The resurrection is the key to everything. If you remove the resurrection of Jesus Christ from Christianity, you don't have Christianity. You literally take the heart out of it. We accept that the resurrection happened by faith. The Holy Spirit has convinced our hearts to believe that the Word of God is true, and if the resurrection didn't happen, then none of this is true. There's plenty of evidence through the Bible. It really is a fundamental doctrine of our faith. It's the crux of the matter, and everything else sort of rises and falls with the resurrection. There's no other religion whose leader has died and rose again. And if their leader can't rise again, what hope can those participants have of themselves ever rising again? If you have your Bibles this morning, and I hope you do, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. I don't know what it means to you to have believed in vain. But this morning, if you believe in a Jesus that didn't rise from the dead, let me be clear, you have believed in vain. And I think that's what Paul is speaking of here. Because later in this chapter, we're going to see that some of these people here at Corinth did not believe that Jesus had rose from the dead. Maybe you know some folks like this. They believe in a historical Jesus. They believe that Jesus lived, that he was a good man. But they don't believe that he rose from the dead. 
Muslims believe that Jesus was a good man. They hold him in high esteem. He's an honored man to them as I read. I read this week, the prophet Muhammad said, the dearest person to me in friendship and in love in this world and the next is Jesus, the son of Mary. But do they believe in the resurrection? Absolutely not. The Buddhists, they hold Jesus in high esteem as a wise sage, a wonderful man, a spiritual leader perhaps. But the resurrection, no. There are many people I would suggest in our country and throughout the world who perhaps may go to church and may even talk of Christianity and of ethics. They hold to a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. They don't believe in the power of a resurrected Christ. Maybe you know someone, maybe you find yourself there this morning. This wasn't just something that happened in Paul's day that they were struggling with. It happens today. We can believe that Jesus was a good man, that he really lived a Jesus of history, but not a Jesus of the resurrection. And until the Lord hope, <clears throat> opens your heart, until you experience him for yourself, you'll not believe this. There was a college that every year would invite one of the greatest minds in the country to lecture in the Theological Education Center. One year they invited Dr. Paul Tillich. Dr. Tillich spoke for two and a half hours proving that the resurrection of Jesus was false. He quoted scholar after scholar and book after book. He concluded that since there was no such thing as a historical resurrection, then the religious tradition of the church was groundless, emotional mumbo-jumbo because it was based on a relationship with a risen Jesus who in fact never rose from the dead in any literal sense. He then asked <clears throat> if there were any questions. After about 30 seconds, a man stood up in the back of the auditorium. Dr. Tillich, I got one question. He said as all eyes turned toward him. He reached into his sack lunch and pulled out an apple and began eating it. Dr. Tillich, crunch, munch. My question is a simple qu question. Crunch, crunch. Now I ain't never read them books you read. Crunch, munch. And I can't recite the scriptures in the originals Greek. Crunch, munch. And I don't know nothing about Nebuhr and Heidegger. Crunch, munch. He finished the apple. All I want to know is this. This apple that I just ate, was it bitter or was it sweet? The man dropped the core of his apple. I'm sorry. Dr. Tillich paused for a moment and answered in exemplary scholarly fashion. I cannot possibly answer that question for I haven't tasted your apple. 
The man dropped the core of his apple into his crumpled paper bag, looked up at Dr. Tillich and said calmly, neither have you tasted my Jesus. Remember, my friend, the skeptics, the scoffers of the resurrection have never tasted this Jesus. And I'm here to tell you we live in a world filled with professors and doctors and scholars and experts and scientists and so on, and they're trying to get it right, and they're trying to figure it out. They're trying to understand, and they're checking, and they're fact-checking, and they're digging into science as best their unbelieving minds know how. Ever learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Because they've never tasted Jesus. But for you this morning, Psalms 34.8 invites you, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. And this morning, I invite you, in the Spirit of God, I believe invites you and I pray that it invites you and convicts you and opens your heart to taste and see that the Lord is good. <clears throat> As I thought along those lines, I thought about a story in John chapter 4, no doubt you're familiar with the woman who Jesus spoke to there. He was sitting there at a well and his disciples had left him and went into town to get food. He was sitting there and he spoke with a woman. This woman was an immoral woman. This woman had had five husbands. And the man that she was living with at the time wasn't her husband. I don't know how many people you know that have been divorced five times that are very highly respected or very solid people in the community, but it, it just doesn't usually work that way. You would kind of assume that this woman was not highly regarded. She was a mixed-race woman that was looked down on by many at that time. Jesus spoke to her, and he asked her for a drink of water. And in verse 9, this woman responded to Jesus. She said, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. She was shocked that he spoke to her. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God... And who it is that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him. And he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with. And the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks from this well will, thir will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. She liked the sounds of this. She said, sir, give me this water that I may not thirst or come here to draw. Jesus says, you know the story, he says, well, why don't you go get your husband and we'll talk about this. 
And she has to confess, I, I don't have a husband. And then Jesus tells her, you know, that he knows. She's had five, and, and he tells her more about her life, it, it would appear. And, and as the story goes, she goes back into the town, and, and she tells people about this, and she gets them to come out. Now, a woman like this, I don't, I'm not sure. I mean, the way I'm assuming that she was, you would think, well, who's going to listen to her, you know, come along with her out to listen to this man? But, but some, maybe it was a rough crowd that came out. Likely was, but it sounds like there were many people that came out and listened to Jesus there. And, and then in verse 39, it says, Many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. The testimony of that woman was powerful. It caused many to believe. But let's go on here. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him stay, to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. So he went and he stayed with them. And he, he shared with them for two days. And it says in verse 41, Many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed this Christ, the Savior of the world. And that's where all of us have got to get to. Testimony can be a powerful thing, but you've got to get to in your life the place where you know that he is the Christ, and it's not just because it's what your parents believe and what they told you. It's not just because your friends go to church and they say they believe, but it's because you have heard him, you have experienced him for yourself, and you know that he is the Christ, the Son of, the risen, of, the Son of God and the Savior of the world. Have you tasted this Jesus this morning, and do you believe that he rose from the dead, and that that same power, he wants to work in your life today. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 15. Continue on here in verses 3 and 4. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins. This is Paul talking to the Corinthians. He says, I told you about how Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He says, just like the scriptures said, it says in the scriptures that Christ is going to die for our sins, and he did. Brother David spoke of this last week. Reuben talked about it Friday night. We heard more about it this morning. Just like the scriptures said, and that he was buried, and that he rose the third day, according to the scriptures. Just like the scriptures said. It said it in the scriptures. I want to go over here to uh, Luke 24, and David uh, opened up with the empty tomb here as he read the beginning of this, this chapter, and then I just want to briefly pull a couple things out of the next couple chapters that David actually referred to last week. The empty tomb wasn't enough. They didn't get it yet. That light bulb had clicked, and yet they hadn't saw Jesus. They didn't know where he was. And even though they remembered his words, they weren't seeing it. And they still weren't feeling it. As we read on, two of them that same day, in verse 13, 
went to a village called Emmaus, which is about seven miles from Jerusalem. They talked together of all the things that had happened, and it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holding that they should not know him. And, and this morning, if you're having trouble understanding the resurrection, if you're having trouble believing in this Jesus, the best thing I can say to you is cry out to God to open your eyes that you can see. Just continue to cry out to him that he would reveal himself to you. He would allow you to see that he would give you this faith. Their eyes, they couldn't see him. They were walking with Jesus and they didn't know it. And he said to them, what are you talking about? Why are you so sad? Verse 17. And one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered and said, don't you know, are you a stranger around here? He seems to infer that everybody knows about what has just happened. Jesus says, what things? And they said, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, the prophet, and, and, and they're, they're defeated here. They were talking as sad, now they're talking in past tense, which was a prophet, mighty indeed in word of God before all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. Past tense, but we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today's the third day since these things were done. They knew that there was something about the third day, but it was the third day. And nothing had happened, and it was getting towards evening. <clears throat> yea, and certain of our women also were, uh, made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. And when they found not his body, they came, saying that they had also seen a vision of angels which said he was alive, and certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it just as the women said, but they didn't see him. Then he said unto them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. You know, they had the scriptures that, as Paul said, said he was going to die for our sins and said he was going to rise again, but, but they didn't understand or they didn't believe it. They weren't alone. Uh, the disciples, none of them did. And oftentimes, you and I are that way. I mean, when we read through these scriptures in the Old Testament, it can be hard to understand. Many times we need Jesus walking by our side to be able to understand the truths in his word. Unless he opened our eyes to see, we cannot understand. Except we have the Holy Spirit speak truth to us. We're not going to realize it. We must Seek the Spirit to teach us truth. So um, he says, Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures and things concerning himself. There are multiple scriptures, and we heard them, beginning with David and with Reuben Friday night, and, and so many places in the scriptures, it speaks, and some of them aren't, aren't always so clear. And I'm not going to go to many this morning. I'm just going to, I'm going to take us to one in, in Psalm 1610. That was read this morning as well. This is David writing in Psalms 16, verse 10. It's, he says, For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thy holy one to see corruption. And this is speaking of Jesus. If you read through that, you know, it may be hard to, to really put that with the resurrection, especially before it ever happened. It may be hard to see that. 
And it was. And so Peter explains that to us. If you want to see Peter's explanation in Acts chapter 2, we're going to get this verse explained to us. This is Peter on Pentecost, but he's talking about the resurrection. Verse 29 of Acts chapter 2, he says, Men and brethren, let me freely speak to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us to this day. We know he died. We know he's gone. We know he's still dead. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on the throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ. David saw this, and he wrote about it. It's something that I can't understand, but... David did write that in the Psalms. Peter does explain that to us, that this is what it means. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. A direct quote of Psalm 16, 10. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. For David's not ascended into heaven, but Christ is. I guess one, one neat note back there in Luke 24, you know, those men, after they realized that Jesus was resurrected, they turned... And they went right back in the dark to Jerusalem to find the, the disciples and tell them that Jesus was resurrected. I mean, it changed their demeanor, it changed their perspective, it changed their whole life, and, and it changed all the disciples. But they went back and they found them. And they, it says later that they were in this room and it was locked and they were talking about them and Jesus shows up there again. And, and Boom, it did, it happened on the third day, but it really, he really drug it out for him, and it really made it hard, and, and I think that that happens in our lives. Sometimes we, we know the promises of God, and we think we know how they're supposed to work, but sometimes they, they look just a little different than we thought, or they take just a little longer than we think. We don't have to be Cleopas, and we don't have to be like this miserable world around us with no hope. As we think about these words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, as he talks of the accordance with the scriptures, just like the scripture said, the truth is the picture of a dead and a risen Messiah is throughout the Old Testament. Every time there was a sacrifice of a lamb, every time such a sacrifice is noted in scripture, it speaks of a dying Messiah. But every time it talks about the Messiah's reigning and ruling and kingdom, it talks of a living Messiah. And so we see that the one who dies must come back to life. It's all over the Old Testament. And again, if the resurrection is not true, then the Bible is not true. And as Paul will say here in Corinthians, your faith is in vain. Let's continue here in Corinthians verse 5 and that he was seen of Cephas and then of the twelve 
And after that he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this day, but some are fallen asleep. After that he was seen of James, and then of all the apostles, and last of all he was seen of me, also as one born out of due time. He says here, as David alluded to in the opening, he was seen here by, by over 500 at one time. You know, if you need uh, proof of something today, you know, if there's a court case and you need to prove innocence or guilt, and you get eyewitness testimony and eyewitness accounts, it, it's not too hard to prove the case. It just takes one or two, oftentimes. And Paul's writing this, and he's writing this years later, but he says that he appeared to maybe close to 600 people. We don't know how many total, but, but well over 500 here from the description. And, and he says, yes, some of them have died, but most of them are still alive. He says, it's not just one or two. Go find somebody. Like, go talk to If you're struggling with this, if you don't believe that Christ raised from the dead, there's people out there you can talk to. They saw him. They can verify this. It actually happened, and it wasn't just one or two. It wasn't 10 or 20. It was hundreds of people. Verses 9 through 11, we'll just read over. For I am the least of the apostles that am not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and His grace was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preached, and so you believed. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some of you that there is no resurrection of the dead? Some of these people didn't believe that Christ rose from the dead. Or that... that any, anyone else was going to rise from the dead. You know, there was a lady that died in a small town. And they rushed her to the hospital. The doctor checked her out and pronounced her dead. The family went home. And the nurse was cleaning up, and she discovered that the lady was still alive. She said, oh no, what are we going to do? She went to the doctor and she said, this lady's still alive, what are we going to do? You're going to have to call her family. So the doctor got on the phone, he called the husband, he said, Mr. Smith, I've got some news about your wife. The man says, my wife, she's dead. The doctor replied, well, she's made a little improvement. <laughs> and it's... It's kind of amusing. I don't know any more to that story on whether the, what, what the status of her was, but a little improvement from death. Jesus made more than a little improvement. And yet some of these people in court said, that's not possible. The dead don't get up again. But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen, verse 13. And if Christ be not risen, then our preaching is vain and your faith is vain also. I should have just stayed home this morning. Should have slept in. There's no sense in preaching. And your faith is in vain. How important is the object of our faith? Faith is talked about today, and it's not necessarily a bad word. It's often encouraged. 
but it's the object of a person's faith that gets you in trouble, that, that, that becomes disruptive. I could, uh, this chair I sat down over here uh, before I, I spoke, when I get done, I'll probably go back and sit down on it again. And I know that chair's there and it holds me up and I believe it holds me up. But should someone go and remove that chair and I go to sit down after I'm done, is my faith going to hold me up? When the object of our faith is taken away, is our faith strong enough? Your faith is only as strong as the object of your faith. And if Christ is not risen, then your faith is in vain. And as we hear so much about having faith today, having faith in yourself, and having faith in, in many different places that people will choose to put their faith. And there is an amazing determination, an amazing amount of willpower in man. But it's not ever going to be enough in this life. Faith in a risen Christ is the only faith that will last Verse 15, yea, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. He's kind of talking backwards here. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. You're yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. Those who have died before, who have believed, they're not going to rise either. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. If you're seeking to live your best life now, if you're seeking as Cleopas was or as Peter was believing that Jesus was going to be the conquering king, if your hope is in Him in this life only, you're going to be miserable. But Christ is risen from the dead, my friend. And because Christ is risen, let's read this another way. Or say this another day. Because Christ is risen from the dead, I preach to you today. I preach truth to you today, and it's not in vain. Because... Christ is risen from the dead. Your faith is sure and steadfast. Because Christ is risen from the dead, we are not liars. We are, we are witnesses of a glorious gospel. Because Christ is risen from the dead, your faith is real and you are no longer in your sins. Because Christ is risen from the dead. Your sins were nailed to the cross. They died with him. It was real. And the resurrection proves that. That everything that Jesus said was true. It was real. It happened and it meant, he meant what he said. And that all those who die in Christ will rise again. And so will we. We have that lively hope that we heard about earlier this morning. Paul says in Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. What does it mean to know the power of his resurrection? 
What does that look like? I believe it was Paul's desire to know the power of Jesus' resurrection, but it wasn't his, you know, he wasn't interested in merely knowing the, the, the facts of the resurrection and its power. He wanted to know the power of Christ's resurrection personally in his own life. He wanted to experience the saving power and resurrection in his everyday life, the power that gives victory over sin and death. He's talking about an experiential knowing and not an intellectual knowing like we heard about on Friday night with Abraham and, and Isaac and, and that point at the climax of that scene where God says, now I know. And it wasn't that God didn't know before. But he wanted that ex experiential knowing. And so this is, to know the power of his resurrection is to, is to do more than to be able to prove it through historical literature. But to know it personally through a relationship with Christ. And that is my prayer for every one of you this morning, that you would know the power of the resurrection to the very core of your soul, that it would change your life, and that when you see it, when you realize it, when you know it, that you would turn around, and that you would walk back through that dark road, through life, to tell those that need to know, those who are in despair, that Jesus is alive. Christianity is about knowing. It's about a relationship with a risen Jesus. Again, there's no other religion whose leader has died and rose again. And if a leader can't rise from death, how can any of the participants ever hope to have life after death? <clears throat> Read verses 20 through 23 with me. Now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. He's the first to rise from the dead, and then we will. For since by man came death, by, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterwards they that are Christ. At his coming. Then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father. When he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. I believe we'll. We'll stop there for today, but I just pray that God can give you the understanding of the truth of the resurrection, that the Bible can be enough for you to believe, that His Holy Spirit could open your heart. To understand that you could have the relationship that's not based on anyone else in this world.
but that's based on you knowing this risen Savior for yourself. It's all you need to know. God bless you. We'll have a song.